listener, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Metacast Crypto Corners. I'm your host, Nicola Vreke, or Nico for short, and today I'm joined by Lars, totally Texas Doucet, who is quickly becoming a fan favorite of the podcast. And then we have a new face and voice, Ethan Levi, who uh, recently did an excellent job explaining blockchain and games on the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. And he calls himself crypto skeptic turned blockchain believer. So he's a perfect guest for what we're going to be discussing today. And, and so in this episode, I'd like to discuss the reaction that we've seen from gamers whenever a major gaming company dares to utter the words NFT or crypto. Um, and yeah, so th those reactions have been... Um, Quite bad and very surprisingly bad, if I have to be honest. Anyway, so today I'd like to have an open-minded discussion, balanced discussion, because we have our, our, our um, in-house crypto skeptic, Lars. Um, and so we want to talk about whether the concerns of gamers are valid and like what the blockchain gaming industry in general can do to address them. So I've, I've written down some of the main concerns that keep coming up whenever I, I look in these Twitter threads where people are hating on the Ubisoft or Stalker or whatever. Um, and yeah, we we'll just go through them and, and see uh, like where we can yeah just have a discussion about them. But before we do that, let's get to know each other first. Lars, for those of you, uh, or of our listeners who don't know you, could you give us uh, a quick overview of, of yourself, what you're up to, and maybe also share your general stance on the crypto world? Yeah, so... Um my day job these days is actually analyzing blockchain games. Um, but my background is I'm um, way back in the day. I started in educational games. Then I moved into regular games, made some games on steam. And then I bounced around the indie space and the double a space for a while. Um, <clears throat> working on my own games, working on other people's games, um, mostly on console and PC. And then my current business partner of my company, um, he has a lot of experience in mobile games and free to play. He used to work for congregate. And um, I, as a consultant, you know, I, I work for Valve for a little bit. Um, it's probably the, you know, highest thing I've achieved in my career. So, like, I, you know, got to work on the discovery algorithm, some of the discovery algorithms. There's more than one. And then, most recently, I, uh, a couple of months ago, decided to just strike out, you know, as an independent consultancy after I left working for Valve. And then um, I started working... Um, with Novik in particular, they kind of sought me out and they started this whole big blockchain gaming analysis newsletter. And I'd, I hadn't looked into blockchain too much before Novik approached me. It's like it was a thing that was kind of blowing up, but I didn't know too much about it. But um, I don't like disagreeing with things I don't understand. And so I wanted to go out there and like went on this huge binge of reading white papers and trying to understand all this stuff, you know, because I remember when Bitcoin first came out and I read the white paper immediately. I was like, this is brilliant. This is amazing. And then I spent the next 10 years being disappointed by two things. One, by the technology not living up to my hopes and dreams. And two, the fact that I didn't buy $50 when it first came out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and so, um, <laughs> but in any case. Um, think of the indie games you could fund if you had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like to think, you know, it's like I probably would have sold as soon as it doubled. But whatever, those grapes are always sour, I tell myself. But um the main thing is my current stance on NFT gaming and things is that um, it feels undercooked and it feels fixated on a particular technology. Um, yeah, my thesis is this, that there are two kinds of blockchain and NFT games. There's a the kind where you have some big investor that comes in, creates a completely centralized service that undoes all the implicit promises of blockchain technology. And so it's kind of basically a joke. So it's like all of the stuff that blockchain is supposed to achieve is just like ripped out and then it's just used as marketing material. So that's like one kind of blockchain game. And then the other kind of blockchain game is like the legit OG cypherpunks, the true believers, the true like nerd hackers who believe in the decentralized anarchist future. Um, and then my criticism there is mostly that I don't think the technology works the way they think it does or that even if it does, it doesn't solve the right problems or connect to the right appeals or the right incentives with, say, players or whatever. Um, but I have a lot more respect for that latter group because they believe in their own principles. Um, and that, that's kind of the perspective I, I, I come at it from. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll put a period on that and move on. We can, we can hear the rest later. Cool. Ethan, how about you? 
Hi, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. This uh, long-time listener, first-time caller type scenario for me, so I, I am really happy to be here today. That's awesome. Uh, I've been designing and producing games for about 19 years uh, across all platforms and business models, really, at this point. Uh, for the past 12, I'd specialized in free-to-play. Uh, I used to run my own consultancy where I would do a lot of lectures and write a lot and kind of publicly evangelize and get flamed for uh, being a promoter of free-to-play. Um, for the past almost seven years, I've been at Network, uh, where probably my biggest accomplishment was I was the lead designer initially on Legendary Game of Heroes. Uh, that's a game that we've publicly said um, has done over $250 million in revenue. That's stats a couple of years old, but I can't give a, a newer stat than that. Uh, still going strong over five years. Um, I was the EP of Tetris uh, for a couple years, so that, that game did over 30 million downloads. Uh, we actually released a bunch of different Tetris SKUs, in, including some real money gaming and uh, game show cash prize versions of it. And for about the past year, I've made a pivot to um, blockchain games and really gone from like, I think this is stupid stake oil to... I think this can change the nature of our relationship with our players and feeling like this is the most exciting um, platform shift in the industry since, you know, Facebook canvas and, and free to play games kind of kicked off um, free to play in the West when it had already been uh, quite popular in uh, Asia and, and in European browser territory. So you might have seen some some writing I've done for Deconstructor of Fun or for my own website or, you know, now podcasting with Deconstructor of Fun. Uh, we just, you know, we're going to release the second episode of our Tokenomics podcast soon. And, you know, I learn a lot from the Novicast and, and from the people I'm on the cast with right now. So uh, just happy, happy to be here and talk about, you know, kind of the promise I see in the future of, of crypto games and not, not as much about what's happening day to day right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm super happy to have you on one. Always happy to, to meet a listener. And, and second, also, I think people who have a certain thing in mind or have a certain belief and that get rationally convinced that they're wrong and change their mind. I think they're probably the ones who can explain, you know, the rationale behind their switch best. And I think that's what's probably needed, I feel, in this space, or at least uh, surrounding the subject that we're going to discussing, be discussing today. So anyway, let's let's dive into things. So naively, if you had asked me one year ago, what would gamers think about, you know, blockchain entering games? I was like, man, they're going to love this. They understand the value of digital items. They own their skins. They pay money for that shit. Like, they they would love to be able to, you know, really own it on, on the blockchain where, you know, the company can't take them away, etc. But boy, was I wrong. So a few contexts or a few examples of, of the reactions that we've seen over the past two months. So in early December, Ubisoft was the first AAA publisher to dip their toes into NFTs um, with their uh, digits drop for Ghost Recon. Um, and we discussed this on a previous episode in depth. But the announcement video on YouTube got a 96% dislike ratio. Um, so they actually had it unlisted quite fast after. In the end, I think they, they went through, but it wasn't super successful from, uh, as far as I've seen. And then um, we also had Stalker 2, who announced that they would be implementing NFTs in their game. Um, and literally one day later, they <laughs> reversed course. <laughs> uh, there, were, there were a couple couple revert it wasn't an immediate reverse course oh. even it was like a further yeah. ex you know doubling down followed by a quick retreat yeah you know? and then you had discord who talked about implement implementing ethereum and then the, the huge backlash people canceling their nitro subscriptions um and then you had square enix recently that also had a huge backlash um anyway so it's clear that a lot of gamers hate or do, do dislike nfts and so today i'd like to you know just talk about why um Let's maybe start with a relatively easy one, like one of the arguments I see popping up. Basically, um, you know, all NFTs destroy the planet. Um, Ethan, you you want to dive into that? And Lars, perhaps. And I know you you you've dive dove into this enough. You can give the context where it applies and where it doesn't. Yeah, and t technically, I, I'm gonna guess Lars uh, has read more white papers and, and knows more than me. So, but but in in some instances, this uh, is a true statement, right? Like if you're doing things on Bitcoin, 
if you're doing things on Ethereum mainnet, the energy cost of simple transactions is astronomical, especially when compared to something like if I want to send Lars five bucks on Venmo, right? The energy transaction mm-hmm. there is extremely low and not an issue and not something we think about. Whereas if I want to send him $5 worth of Ethereum, it's going to cost me $80 worth of gas. And that gas translates into a incredible amount of, of energy consumption. But there are other uh, solutions, right? Other layer one chains like Solana or Polygon, Tezos, Immutable X, et cetera. Like there are scaling solutions that by not interacting by either building an alternate layer one to Ethereum or uh, taking place on layer two are much lower in their energy consumptions and probably resemble more loading a website, you know, paying for gas with your debit card, uh, kind of the normal parts of of our modern connected society. And so um, as a developer, I think we all have a responsibility to choose technology stacks that align with our values. You know, I, I really value nature and, and hiking and, and, you know, the outdoors, and I don't want to ruin the planet for the sake of, of making money. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a responsibility on our end to choose the chain that uh, aligns with our values. And I think that this is um, a argument because parts of it are true is never going to go away. Like there are some people that will never be able to convince that this is that not all chains are created equally. Right. Well, one thing that's it's a really interesting part of this argument because it it really I think this criticism specifically really is just a great microcosm for understanding the whole nature of the backlash. So on the one hand, this is actually, there's a lot of good reasons to be skeptical of blockchain and crypto games. And this is perhaps one of the, it's one of the weaker ones on the factual basis because every successful crypto game that I have seen has only really unleashed its success once it's moved off of Ethereum. You know, because any crypto game developer that is working on a crypto game is going to tell you that it's like, I can't afford to develop on Ethereum, <laughs> right. you know, it's like the congestion and the gas fees are so high, like you're essentially forced to move on to an L2 or an L1. You look at the graph of like Axie Infinity and it's like, oh, I wonder when they migrated to Ethereum. Was it when their volume went vertical? You know, same thing with Zed Run, same thing with, you know, all like, like you look at almost any successful games graph. It's like you can be like, that's where they went to Polygon. That's where they went to Solana. That's where they, you know, that's where they went to their own L2 like Axie did with Ronin. You know what I mean? And um, so I think, you know, inevitably, like, I mean, it, it, I feel like if Ethereum doesn't move to proof of stake soon, it's 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 like as big as it is, it's still like someone's eventually like, like the, a, a, a competing L1 is going to start really taking market share away. And if not these complicated L2s, but anyway, but it kind of doesn't matter rhetorically because I really feel like um, the rhetorical game has been so poorly played by the blockchain advocates, in my opinion, that they allowed themselves to get blindsided for this long. And um, and I'm, I'm not not trying to like insult people. Like I understand like people like yourself, Nico. Like you you gave that perspective, which I think is very typical of a lot of blockchain advocates. And I don't fault you for having it. Which is, it's like people are going to love this because you love it, right? And it makes sense to you, and you like games, you know. And it's um, the the problem is that um, I was very pro block blockchain in terms of pro Bitcoin when it first came out in like what 2008. I forget 2009. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is like 13 years old. Yeah, like yeah, 13, 14 years. Ago. I mean, it's been a long time. You know, and Ethereum is, you know, what was that, 20, a couple of years later, like 2012, 2014, I forget. 14, I think it started. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's been like eight years, like seven, eight years, right? And there's been a lot of time for people to develop their kind of aversions to it. And a lot, of, even if that's all bad actors, it's like bad actors is mostly who these people have been talking to. And so it's really set in this belief that blockchain is bad for the environment. And if we're talking about Bitcoin or Ethereum or any proof of work chain, I mean, it is. And so when people have been talking mostly to the worst bad actors that you guys can't stand to be around um, and that you hate are representing your world, and then people come along and like, oh, but trust me, dude, no, no, we found a, it, it's like, this, this is a green chain, 
people are like, yeah, sure. Hmm. You know, it sounds like carbon offsets or credits where a guy's giving his buddy Phil like 50 bucks and, you know, to promise to, you know, drop some pumpkin seeds in the ground. And the point when I say it doesn't matter is that it's still rhetorically your problem, whether or not like it's like at the point where you have to explain what's going on and like, no, 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 you see, guys, it's proof of stake and proof of stake is like it's like you've, you've lost the argument. And um, you're on the rhetorical back foot. And if that was the only issue facing the adoption of blockchain gaming, I would be a lot more optimistic. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's not. And mm-hmm. I think there's a stronger substantive basis to the other issues. But if that was the only one, I think you could eventually flip a lot of people here. Um, yeah. And you would have to do a lot of work countering that argument. And you would also need to, a lot of projects need to put their money where their mouth is and really accelerate the adoption of Ethereum to proof of stake. That's something that would really potentially win people over. And then moving your projects over, like just start building them on L2s and L1s that are not Ethereum like now. Mm-hmm. Like just just mm-hmm. leave Ethereum behind in terms of building directly on that L1. I mean, just for your own sake, because you're not going to be able to afford the gas fees. Um, and that's the way I like to characterize it is that it's more than just, okay, well, it's not, you know, it's like we're building on Polygon, we're building on Solana, so it's green. It doesn't matter, you know, because people are... are the, the, they built up this idea in their head and not for a bad reason. And now you have to deal with it, whether you like it or not. Yeah. I think that last point is, is pretty important. Um, I feel like some people think that in a way it's cheaper because it's, it consumes more energy. Like if you use bad type of oil, it's cheaper for you to, to, to power up your machines or whatever. But in the end, like the more electricity something consumes, it's actually like the more cost it have, it has in blockchain world. So I think the, the alignment of, both game developers and players are the same here. Game like developers also want to have low transaction fees and low energy usage per transaction. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a fair point that although people are like, it's 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 on the blockchain industry to convince people that it is truly green. Because I think I mean, for example, Ubisoft. I remember they put on their website like ex- explicitly one one they're like right. eco friendly. Because te- Tezos, that's that's part of the Tezos. Yeah, unique exactly. proposition is that they've put a lot of research into low environmental impact. Yeah. But I mean, I think the um, a lot of the way I'm I'm interpreting what's happening in the industry right now is to think back 10, 12 years ago to Facebook Canvas era. And, you know, bat, like when I was at EA making Dragon Age Legends on Facebook, trying to make social games for gamers and I our team completely missed the boat because gamers um, are actually hardcore gamers, AAA hardcore gamers like me. I mean, I spend just this Christmas hundreds of dollars buying PS5 games that I'm not even going to play this year (laughs) just because of how little time I have to play games. But like, it's actually an extremely conservative bunch. And the people who thought I was a cancer on the games industry 10 years ago when I was talking about free-to-play games still think I am. And the people, even even when they're buying skins in in a Call of Duty Warzone, and the people who think that we are ruining the planet by making blockchain games now are, are still going to believe that 10, 10 years from now. And it's going to be a very... The opportunity I see right now is not in appealing to gamers, but in the audience expansion of um, appealing to people who are more crypto than gamer. And play to earn, and play to earn is bringing a lot of new people to, and play, to, play to earn and play and earn are bringing a lot of new people into this ecosystem, and you know, it's just like, how how long is it going to take before this argument goes away? Well, how long was it between Farmville and, and Call of Duty Mobile, right? That was like 10, 10 years or so. Um, it's going to take a long time for these technologies and concepts to become mainstream in our daily non-internet connected lives and then mainstream within you know the the core of uh high-end gaming one thing i like to do with arguments like this when you know spoiler alert we're probably not going to come to an agreement on you know at the end of this is is to at least get (laughs) to the root of the disagreement right you know like what are the underlying assumptions and differences and values that we can like acknowledge be like oh that's why we disagree you know, and so I hear this argument a lot, um, and I'm sure what I'm going to try to do today in good faith here, is one of the things about that argument that you just made is it's a very interesting one and it's a very important one, which is that, well, we saw this resistance to free-to-play and microtransactions 10 years ago, and 
you know, they put up a big storm and drong and then 10 years later, you know, they accepted it. You know, this is now the industry standard. The, all the games like on Steam that are like the top grossing all have DLC and microtransactions and, you know, sometimes season passes and all that good stuff. You know, <laughs> it's like I was one one Penny Arcade comic where he's like singing a folk song. He's like, young men raged on the forum page, then bought it in the night, you know, <laughs> and it's like. That's um, that, that's kind of, you know, a, a pretty compelling argument. But I think the thing to understand there is value proposition. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that free-to-play had a genuine value proposition. And the opposition came from people who didn't like the trade-off, right? Let's talk about Facebook has a value proposition. It has a bad trade-off, in my opinion, you know, in terms of privacy and what it is doing to society, you know what I mean? But it has a value proposition. I mean, like, uh, uh, there's so many things that, like, people will actively participate in that have a reason people are going to them in the first place, even if you can say it's bad for society or I don't like it or it's good for society, but I don't like it, I'm going to sit here and complain about it, right? You know, and so free-to-play genuinely solved a problem, which is, like, you don't have to pay to play it at all, right? And you can, therefore, with one of these in everybody's hands, a phone, you know, you can massively expand the audience that you're able to reach. And then a couple of whales can pay for the whole thing, you know. And then there are some problems that come with that is that it's like, okay, now people are constantly suspicious that, you know, the game is no longer being designed just for the sake of providing me the most value for the entrance fee. You know, now it's like, oh, is this game taking so long? Because that's the designer's intent, or is it because they really want me to buy 500 gems so that I can speed it up, you know, and things like that. And so let me get to the point. The point is that with blockchain gaming is that I don't really believe, and I believe the numbers bear this out with me so far, that there really is a value proposition there, especially with so-called play-to-earn games. I analyze those for a living, and so far, um, the only play-to-earn or play-end-earn games, um, and the distinction between those, in my opinion, and tell me if you're using a different definition, is play-to-earn means everybody expects a payout. Play-end-earn means some people expect a payout, but not all. And um, I think that's a good distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Play-to-earn is, and Axie Infinity is the best example of this, is completely unsustainable. We we talked about that in the Novik paper. Yeah. It's just like, there's no way to go with that. Play-end-earn, that is naively sustainable. We analyzed a game like that. It's called Zed Run. And... Um, the thing about Zed Run is that the majority of play, it's sustainable because the majority of players should expect to lose money. Now, someone could point out that's exactly the same situation with any game, right? It's like World of Warcraft players should expect to lose money in the long term, $15 a month, you know, or whatever it is, right? Um, but my point is that um, my point is, is that I feel like all the things blockchain can offer, we can already do in other ways. And the main issue here is not even about the utility of blockchain. It's the fact that a lot of these the, the free-to-play wars were won, like, grudgingly. Like, like the, 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 the audience was conquered rather than won over in a lot of ways. And they... And, and new audience was brought in. New audience... And new audience. Was new brought. audience was brought in, right? You know, and my, my business partner is a free-to-play game developer, and he has a lot of... He wrote this really famous article about idle games and, you know, <clears throat> took over the thing, expanded the whole space. But I'm talking specifically about people like Ubisoft, where they took existing games and turn them into games where sometimes you would even pay up front and then pay more and more and more and add all these extra things. And so especially the companies that have admitted, it might be a little too early to overgeneralize, but a lot of the early companies that have gotten into blockchain gaming are the ones that gamers are already the most suspicious of. And and it's like, we've seen what you've done in the past. You'll do anything you can to crank monetization without giving us a gameplay justification. And... This ties into my earlier thesis that there's two kinds of blockchain games. There's the kinds that are made by these sincere cypherpunk cyber anarchists, which, you know, the, the ones who, who, who legitimately believe in the technology and the kind who are like, this is a good way to make a buck. And I'm not going to give you any of the promises that this technology actually offers because my terms of service are going to yank it all back. And that's, I think, the main... Gamers very well may distrust the OG cypherpunk vision, but they sure as hell distrust the, okay, the, the the corporate fake blockchain approach, which is what I think the real backlash um, to things like this is, is it's just a cynical way to get more money without giving me any guarantees that you'll be able to reverse any fraudulent transactions. Yeah. We're, um, 
where I think I don't think any of the games that I've played and it's hard. I mean, the market is is huge and, and amorphous and, and it's possible that something's out there that embodies what I think is going to be successful. But um, I think we're very, very early in this space. And when I when I think about the value proposition that a blockchain game brings that me as a long term free to play um veteran uh find appealing they're kind of and and venture funded too right i've worked for venture funded companies or consulted for primarily venture funded or publicly traded companies which which have the same concerns right let's just imagine a game like game of war which you know at its height was making probably over over a billion dollars a year if if you had a game that has one-to-one feature and quality and friction parity with game of war and, but imagine that 95% of all revenue generated in that game was going into the players' pockets and trading amongst them, and only 5% of it was going to the company. Um, to me, that's the value prop, right? Like there's a, there's a, we can build a future where the majority of the financial upside is actually within the community. And because of that, the games are bigger than they would have been as pure free-to-play plays, and the developer also um, benefits from that. I think we can build these economies where the gamers are benefiting um, in a sustainable way, not in a in a Ponzi way, like you know, not in a, a, a kind of bubble popping way that requires new users, as, as you pointed out so well in that paper. Um, so that's that's where I think is really interesting is that part the idea that hey what if the troops that I'm working so hard to create um, are an asset that I own and when another player wants to buy troops they're not buying them from Ethan they're the developer they're buying them from Lars the player and Lars doesn't he's never going to be a whale in this game but he can he enjoys playing it he enjoys the grind and he enjoys making troops and he benefits from it by selling his assets to other players and. He gets the majority of the output of that, and the developer gets a small cut, and together we build an economy that's much bigger than the already massive game that was built purely on the free-to-play tactics. So that's that's one thing I find, one value prop I find super appealing about blockchain. The other is that um, if you follow the business of it, you know, um, there are huge exits, huge acquisitions, and in those um, VCs, company founders make out in a really big way. Um, sometimes the developers do, sometimes the developers don't. Sometimes the community gets um, a, a, a bad deal in the end when their game that they love and invested in was sold to somebody else. Uh, so another value proposition that I really like about blockchain games uh, because of the tokenomics and because of the NFTs um, an early community supporter can be can find more reward than the VCs who invested in it uh, because of the way that their investment is set up, right? Like someone could get rich by being an early game supporter and when they're done with the game, selling all their assets, where and and whereas it, for a game that perhaps the stock creates a big exit for the founders and VCs, and perhaps it doesn't. So these are the things that are really uh, appealing to me, the the value proposition of the pie being much larger and sharing it, and the majority of it being in the player's hands. And as a result, us as game developers making better choices that are about long-term health and sustainability of the ecosystem, and less about daily uh, revenue targets. So my response to that is, so some of those, I think, are really good value props, and others I question, mostly on an implementation basis. But the big question is... Which one? Could you elaborate? So for me, I have one is that you know players can actually monetize their gameplay, they add value to the system, and they can, can generate some revenue. So that, that's one that I have. And then the other one is that early players can actually financially benefit from the growth of the game that they supported early. Um, which one do you fall, like, like and, and which one don't you like? Well, well, my main point is not actually either of those. Okay. My main point is, why do we need blockchain for any of that? Mm. Like, we've had um, real money games long before blockchain. You know, right. we've had the ability to pay all players long before blockchain. Like, why, why do we need to, how does a, 
how does a distribute a decentralized you know distributed cryptographic ledger you know designed to enforce Byzantine consensus and block <laughs> double spending solve any of our problems right how does it not create new problems you know when wh- why do we need blockchain for this and why can't we use conventional technologies to do it right that's the main I think that's the heart of a lot of criticisms too right yeah my 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 answer for that is um, that the most important thing that blockchain is bringing to the table currently is is consumer trust not among all consumers but among those that are bought in right now so it's not it's not that we couldn't do these things with skin trading with csgo um it's that for whatever reason enough people trusted that when they bought their moments on dapper uh, on nba top shot that they own them and that when they were buying them from other players that something they believed in the value of was changing hands. Like for whatever reason, there's been enough uh, PR, enough uh, success cases, enough public acknowledgement. Like we've reached a tipping point where among at least a segment of people out there, they trust in the premise of blockchain or, or trust enough to at least interact with it. And that that trust is the main asset. It's not the technology and what the technology enables. It's that they trust in the concept of the tokens and ownership and NFTs and, you know, money's just trust. Money doesn't exist, right? It's not real. So it's it's just uh, that that belief is what is bringing to the table, not unique and novel technology. And I think that's kind of the Achilles heel of it, is that I think you will find that within the blockchain crowd, you'll find a lot of trust in trustlessness, which is that we don't have to trust anyone. We, we can trust the results because we don't have to trust any individual. Whereas I think normies are like, I want a customer support line I can call right. and a company is going to fix my problem. I personally trust Steam with digital assets that any employee could go and delete anytime just because they felt like it. Anytime more than I trust some blockchain because not your keys, not your coins. So if I screw up in the smallest way, if I get spearfished, my assets are gone and they are no longer mine. And normies have that happen to them all the time. And what they care about is that they can go to customer service and be like, reverse that transaction. And customer service is like, you got it. You know, whereas if everything is blockchain based, it sounds like a way like you go and you read the chart. This was a big reason for the pushback with um, Ubisoft. You go and look at some of the replies. They're like, your terms of service say that you are not responsible for fraudulent transactions here, that it's out. You're outsourcing an entire transactional system to the blockchain. And this is kind of where I talk about like blockchain solving the wrong problem, like Byzantine consensus and forbidding double spend is like a groundbreaking crypto mathematical like breakthrough. Like it's amazing. But it's not the problem normies care about. You know, like I have a giant evil bank that keeps my USD and I trust them more than a crypto exchange. Poor you. Like, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. But like, I am more confident that, yeah, inflation's going to happen or whatever, but it's less volatile than Bitcoin. And I trust that if I had, and I have friends who got into Bitcoin and lost everything with no recourse because someone got a hold of their keys because they couldn't figure out. Like, I mean, I do, I have like passwords and password managers and like sites that require me to enter four things and pull out a, you know, two UB keys to log into, but I'm a psychotic nerd, you know? (laughs) And if you're talking about mass adoption, you, you know, like some of these blockchain games are like, okay, we'll just set up your MetaMask wallet and you can jump right in. And it's like free to play games are like, click play. You're playing right now, you know? And that's the thing. If you're talking about mass adoption, I think that's a big, important part of it. I have other things I could say, but I'm trailing off. So I'm going to stop right here and let you guys tell me mm-hmm. why I'm wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll take this one, uh, Ethan, if, if, if I may. Um, yeah, go for I, it. I think, honestly, think that you're really right. I think I, I would say on one hand, if people like it's if if you know what you're doing, if you do put a little bit of research in, it's not that hard to you know manage you know private keys and all that stuff. But that being said, I think these are just growing pains of a technology. And I think um, not your keys, not your crypto is probably not going to apply to everyone. And I think the vast majority of people, uh, the normies, as you'd call them, they're probably going to use a kind of service where they log in and um, they'll probably, like, they're probably won't, like, if they sell something, if they press, like, I want to sell this, they might have, like, five-factor authentication 
but once it's done, they can't revert it. Um, but they won't like run the risk of someone hacking their account or finding their keys and then getting all their shit stolen away. So they'll have like the normal kind of stuff. Um, so I think honestly, I think that's that's kind of a growing pain. And then to come back to your comments on uh, the utility of blockchain technology. So one of the things I'm I'm seeing now is um, I'm quite deep into the like on-chain development of stuff. And one of the cool things of blockchain is is that it's completely open source and it's all like the same technology, which means that if like, um, let's say you want to, you want to make a new steam, right? You're going to have to build everything from scratch as, as, as a gaming company. Um, and if you want to make any types of connection to steam that, that will never work. And so the cool thing about the blockchain and what that's what I've, what I'm seeing right now, it's, it's people building games and they're like, we need the marketplace. Oh, wait, like OpenSea is already a marketplace. Let me go look at their, those smart contracts. I can just like copy paste, reuse a bunch of what they're doing, just fork it, um, and I can get going way faster. And so, I think there's a bunch of native things within blockchain games that are really cool. Um, that I think we'll see, you know, a lot of traction on the long term. What I'm not 100 convinced of, and, and I'd like to to make this like a second part of this discussion, is does it make sense, like? Can we trust the, the Ubisofts and and et cetera, the big publishers to you know use blockchain for good? And can we can we trust them not to use it as the cash grab? You know, that the the kind of point that Lars made. Yeah, and I think I'll I'll pass it back to you. There'll be just two sentences. Is I think mm -hmm. there's a really important distinction here between the real honest and earnest crypto nerds who believe in their own principles. I predict they're eventually going to come up with something. I think eventually they'll mm -hmm. give up on the fixation of it has to exactly align with the original principles that emerged from Bitcoin, maybe give up on immutability, lean more into just other kinds of decentralization, build a better PayPal that's open source, like that would be great. You know, and maybe like give up a little on like Byzantine consensus and avoiding double spends is 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 the thing, you know, and and that is probably going to be pretty interesting to me. But then on the other hand, you have these big companies that basically come in and it's like, okay, um, we're going to use blockchain, 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 but um, it connects to our centralized service. We can ban your assets anytime. Um, our jurisdiction is China. Um, we're going to censor any illegal assets in a Chinese jurisdiction and um, you have no rights, but you own your assets in some extremely narrow and meaningless way. You know, and I think like if those are the leaders of this movement, like why wouldn't there be enormous backlash? Because why would anyone ever trust them? You know, and I think these two groups are, are very different and I'm even seeing them start to fight with each other. You know, and I think that's kind of, um, it's easy to roll it all up and just call it crypto and blockchain. Um, but but they're two very different, different things. Um, just a quick um, uh, thought, you know, when I'm, I take a very long view of this transition and so anything that comes up as friction, whether it's um, economic, Im uh, ecological impact or inability to reverse transaction or do customer service, I actually think is just an opportunity, right? Like as we were talking, I started thinking like, well, there's this whole world of insurance that, you know, between financial institutions that I don't really understand at all. Um, but I could totally see a world where there's the AIG of crypto gaming and it becomes a standard that when you launch a new token and a new nft that you buy an insurance policy that costs you two percent of your initial mint and there's basically this giant treasury out there whose purpose is to make good on people who get scammed and have legitimate customer service problems like that even as i say it out loud i'm like well that's a business i would never build but that sounds like a massive i was business. gonna say ethan that sounds like go build something it, but never mind what <laughs> <laughs> go build embrace embrace your uh heritage as the son of a tax lawyer there you go man and go yeah. build a giant <laughs> crypto insurance business there you go i mean really like i should go pitch this yeah. to you right after this but i mean every every single point of friction of adoption amongst normies um, is I think an, an opportunity. You can look at it as a challenge and you can look at it as an opportunity and whoever figures out crypto insurance is going to be ungodly rich. You know? I like it. Um, Lars, an another uh, a question for you value proposition wise. Um, so Twitter a few months ago announced that they would be implementing 
checks for NFT profile pictures. So if you're uh, the proud holder of a, you know, cryptoed NFT, you could use it as your profile picture on Twitter and it would have some kind of way where people would know that you actually owned the, uh, had the keys to the address that had the um, smart contract for that profile uh, picture uh, on it. Imagine, like, I'm just thinking out loud here, a gamer social network, future gamer social network, where every achievement that you have in all of the games that you've played, you could display. I know this is possible through APIs, but at that point, you know, as a company, you would have to build an API to, you know, show the, um, the achievements for all of your players and all of that stuff. D does that make sense? Well, so there's, there's a couple things here. So kind of the background assumption to that is one of the value props is just the composability of blockchain. And that's actually pretty cool. My concern with it is mostly just that the implementation is just tied up with things people don't want or need, like irreversibility of transactions and just stuck on a blockchain rather than other ways to make decentralized composable services, such as just make all your stuff open source, you know? Um, but um, what I think is interesting about what you said specifically is that you're adding a centralized trusted service on top of a blockchain, right? You know, one of the challenges with OpenSea you know, and, and so there was a bunch of pushback about that on Twitter. And I think they eventually, did they do it? I can't remember if they went through with it or not. It was Discord that got, that reversed himself. Discord reversed on the MetaMask. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so Twitter, so Twitter is choosing to, you know, authenticate that your profile picture, your NFT is, is real, you know? Um, but it's yours. Yeah. That it's yours, that you own that. Right. Um, the thing is, is that this is similar to how like Twitter also gets to decide, you know, whether, you know, what you're saying is the truth, you know, just like we've seen, you know, and, and that's been really kind of revealed in the past couple of months where it's like, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It's like, let's crack down on conspiracy theories, like during this time of the pandemic. And then like they would reverse course, like they would ban things that several months later were revealed to be factually true, you know, and like people like were permanently or temporarily banned for things that later came out, I was like, oh yeah, that totally happened. You know what I mean? And um, the same problem here is giving that trusted trusted authority over a trustless system is this contradiction. Like, okay, um, what if I have a Hitler's penis NFT? Is Twitter going to do, I call it, I, I call oh, it. Oh man, you're getting us canceled, Lars. That's, well, well, can you it, say those words out loud? Well, the thing <laughs> is, it's, it's I, call I'll allow it, it. I call it the Hitler's penis attack. And it is something that <laughs> every blockchain has to deal with, right? Okay. Like every, every UGC platform has a metric they call time to penis, which is how long until someone figures out how to create a penis and upload it onto <laughs> your servers. And then it's like, and in our modern day, challenge it's like we have the hitler's penis attack where someone either uploads hitler a penis or hitler's penis and then you have to moderate that right you know and you you can't like you, you'd be a really brave person to leave that up i certainly wouldn't on my ugc platform and then it's like the whole premise of blockchain is that it's immutable it's on the blockchain forever but is OpenSea going to display it OpenSea is already not choosing to display all kinds of things. You know, what if someone uploads something hateful? And it's like, okay, we got to take that down. What if the jurisdiction is China and we believe it's hateful to talk about Tiananmen Square? You know, I mean, there are major, I'm not naming any names here, but there are major multi-million dollar VC funded UGC blockchain games right now that are based out of, you know, various Chinese jurisdictions and they're based off UGC. And if I own my assets as they have promised, and I upload something that says free Hong Kong or, you know, remember Tiananmen Square, are they going to destroy the value of my asset by refusing to show it? You know, it's like we cannot escape these contradictions of connecting a centralized trusted service to a decentralized trustless service. Like it, it's, it's impossible to evade these cracks and we need to have these hard conversations. And um, I mean, that I mean, Twitter is grappling with that right now. Like Jack seems to have had one opinion on the subject and kind of been forced out. And it's like, I don't know what the right answer is, is it's like, you know, it's like I'm a pretty hardcore free speech advocate, but I gotta admit like since a certain former president is no longer on Twitter, it's it's been a lot less crazy on my timeline, <laughs> you know? But at the same time, it's like, you know, these are, you know, and then, and then there are questions that are much like, more fuzzy than that one that are, you, you know, and, and then the problem is the promises that are made. It's like, you're going to own your assets. And, and so if you lose the UGC context, 
you know, this is moving on to another thing, but just going back to like, you know, you're going to own your assets, you can sell all your assets. The problem with that from a game design perspective is we saw the Diablo 3 auction house, right? And we saw how they designed a game system without understanding what happens when you make every single transaction fungible. It really wrecked the economy and the ecosystem and sucked all the fun out of the game to the point that they eventually removed it. Artifact made the same mistake, Steam's card game, where they were like, okay, every item is tradable, and that's like a major part of the game. And they didn't grapple with that. It's like, if you're going to make every item tradable, you need to, from the start, design an entirely different kind of game. You know, games like EVE Online have, they're not perfect real money economies, but you have Plex, so it, it's kind of like it. You know, and those are those are totally different experiences. So, like, if you want to make that work, you cannot graph them onto existing game experiences. I know I combined two completely radically different ideas in one point, but my point is that when this makes contact with reality, we need to change our entire way of thinking and as you say, a lot of traditional gamers are very skeptical. The one thing you can't do is say it's like stuff's not going to change. It's going to be exactly like it was before, but it's better. It's like, no, things are going to be radically different. And so if someone's conservative or likes the way things are now, they're like, well, things are definitely going to change. And maybe I won't like it in the future. You know, Matt, that's interesting. And so how what are your thoughts, Lars, on um, have, have you looked into the game Dark Forest? I've heard of that one. That's the one that like runs entirely on the blockchain, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like that's, that stuff nerd sniped me like crazy. And I think you'd probably like it. Um, and if I understand you correctly, you say that like 99% of the games that we know today have no, like it's not worth putting them on the blockchain because they have to be redesigned completely. And so the only things, the only successful games on the blockchain will either be like these fully on-chain games, which might, I, I, I'm just speaking for you here, um, like only appeal to the, the giga nerds that, uh, that want this kind of stuff um, or games that are, you know, specifically designed to work on, on, on the blockchain. Well, what I'm saying is that like, I think enti entirely on blockchain games are part of that like weird experimental crypto cyberpunk crowd. And they tend to be very, have very niche appeal. Um, and I think I have a lot of respect for that. I think they're eventually going to evolve that into something weird and beautiful. I think just by pure volume, like 90%, I don't know exactly, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like most of the attention in the crypto gaming space so far has been to Axie Infinity, right? And they just had another bad month and they are on exactly the trajectory our paper predicted. And um, it's very clear that almost all of their players are there because they were being paid. And most of the investors were there mostly for speculative reasons. And like, I feel like so much of the attention in this space right now is devoted to these, these, these games where everyone's like, I don't know how it works, but I'm sure it will be the future. And so I want to grab a piece now. Don't get me started on digital land. That's a whole podcast. And my whole, that'll be, I, I want to, I want to be, uh, <laughs> uh, talk about that with you. That'll be a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. But, but my, my, my point is, is that it's like, there's all this like, it's mostly appealing to investors right now. You know, when we talk about crypto gamers rather than gamers, like you read these white papers and they're 95% crypto DeFi and 5% gameplay. It's like, talk to me about the game design. Talk to me about why we need blockchain to solve this. And let's have that conversation. You know, it's like, that's the kind of conversation I could possibly convince me when you're like, like I, I read through all these white papers and it's like, where's the gameplay? Where's the gameplay? They're just talking about how you move tokens around and, and how you, and you stake and you, you know, you trade, you invest, you know, but like, what, what do you do? Yeah. I, I mean, I, in, in approaching designing a blockchain game, um, cause I am, you know, my core skill set is a game designer. One thing there, there are two different things that, um, have been shifts for me. One is just designing these economies. You know, I worked with, with some great collaborators on, on really complex live ops game economies uh, for, for legendary and others. And these blockchain based ownership based economies are an order of magnitude, more, uh, challenging, more complicated to design. And you have to be, you know, the reason I, I talk a lot, um, internally on my team about like 10 year, you know, we're building a decade long game and we're building a decade long economy is because we have to think about, well, if we're selling heroes today, uh, how are those heroes going to retain their value over 10 years? And that's a game design challenge, right? And it's one I'm actually, as an example, very excited about because uh, I'm talking about how do we keep selling new heroes week after week in a world where we want to commit to no power creep, right? Like that's that's interesting gameplay challenge. 
Um, so just designing these economies, both the actual asset economies and the power economies are just an order of complicated, uh, an order of magnitude more complicated. And I don't have the answers and I don't think anybody's figured it out yet because I have the same reaction to you when I read a lot of white papers, either like there's they're not talking enough about gameplay or I'll read one page and it'll be like, you just promised five AAA games that each take three years to build. Like you're never you're never going to build this. Um Something the way like uh, uh, these games are much more than the game software. The thing we think of as the game, the game client is one portion and the game of playing uh, Crypto Raiders or Defenders of Dogewood or Star Atlas uh, is everything. It's Discord. It's farming. It's yield farming. It's investing. Like the game, the game of the game is much bigger than just the game software. And a lot of these projects right now are kind of more momentum and Kickstarter and excitement about the the promise of the future. And so, at least on our team, we're talking a lot about Discord as the first way you're playing our game, right? Like, what do, what are you doing day one on Discord when you're six months out from? playable game software. How are we going to keep you engaged as a player on Discord? Are you playing a game of earning roles? Are you playing a game of earning whitelist? Are you playing a game of contributing to the lore or choosing characters? Like there's there's a lot of really interesting things here when you expand the definition of what the game is. And I think what's hard about approaching the space for people like me and you who've been designing and developing games for a long time is that um the thing the early adopter audience is most interested in is the part we're least familiar with, which is the all that other stuff, and not and 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 the game software is just one one small part of it. Yeah. Well, one thing I do want to throw you a bone here, real quick. So I'm gonna I'm gonna grudgingly admit <laughs> something. So um, one thing yes, is that I win. So so the main the main <laughs> thing is here is that the biggest value prop of blockchain for me, I will say, is that you are currently, as a normie, not really allowed to invest in private companies, right? Right. Like, you have to be an accredited investor to do that. But if you buy a governance token, it's kind of like Uber with the way they got around taxing medallions. It's a kind of regulatory arbitrage where it's like, hey, you can basically get a share in this game. You know what I mean? Without being an accredited investor. And that's a general value prop. It is one that is highly vulnerable to regulation coming down the pipe, but it's like, Absolutely. it's something that's genuinely new. And um, the argument could be, it's like, well, we should just pass a law that lets retail investors just invest in any private company, but that's probably not. But even then you won't have the access you do today. Yeah. But right. any, anyway, in make, so I will throw- In I will, making those bets. I will throw you that bone. I have no long, no, I have no idea how long that will last or whether it's on that a good thing, <laughs> but it certainly exists and it's certainly appealing to a bunch of people. Um, right. And, um, my my issue with it is that because it's kind of regulatory arbitrage is that it's also underspecified and underbaked where it's like you get to have governance in this game and it's like okay well what, what does that mean yeah and this is my my main issue is whenever people say words like ownership right in political mm-hmm. economy if you go and like go be a huge poli sign nerd you know what does ownership mean ownership traditionally in english common law is a bundle of rights right You know, it's like, I own my house. What does that mean? Well, I can kick you off my house if you come into my house without my permission, right? Um, Vampire or not, you're not allowed inside unless I invite you. You know, um, in Texas, I can shoot you dead if you break into my house. You know, not in other states, however. That that right is removed from the bundle of rights. Um, If there's minerals on my property, do I have the exclusive right to mine them? Maybe yes, maybe no. That bundle may or may not be in my rights. Do I have the rights to the air above my house? That depends. You know, there's all these things. Do I have the right to sell my property? Do I have the right to occupy my property? Do I have the right to do any number of things? And so when we say- And who do I have to pay taxes to for all these rights? Right, right, right. I I have the obligation to pay property taxes in order to maintain- you know, or, or, you know, and I don't have the right necessarily to lay down in front of a bulldozer if the government claims eminent domain, right? You know, and, and all of these things, right? And, um, and so when we say ownership, a person hears that and there's any number of like a dozen different things it could mean. And the, and the person's like, has their own private definition. And then we come, it's like, you're going to have real ownership of your assets. And we have our mm-hmm. own idea of what that means. And there's this disconnect. 
And I feel like anytime someone says ownership or true ownership, it's like decompose the bundle and be explicit because you have people out there who like believe really kind of tragic things about what they're actually buying when they buy an NFT, like people who think they have the copyright to it. And sometimes genuinely speaking, the copyright is transferred with the NFT and good for good for that person who included in the bundle, but not always. You know, I think like Board Ape Yacht Club does like give you the copyright to that image. Um, but not all collections do that. And then a lot of these big projects, a lot of these, you know, um, venture funded projects, like you'll go into their terms of service and they'll, and they'll revoke all of the implied rights of ownership in their terms of services. Like we can ban your account for any reason. We can ban your assets. We can ban this. We can ban that, you know, and it's like, well, what's left of my ownership? It's like, well, you can trade it on the blockchain, even though it's now a blacklisted item that will never appear on OpenSea. You know, it's like, oh, great, great. <laughs> you know, now that it's worth two cents. Right. All, all of all of these things still exist in a kind of capitalist society in a world of regulation. Like it's not it's not the crypto utopian uh, future. It's 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 just going to be another thing like stocks or gold or land or anything. It's just another asset that exists and uh has restrictions on it and uh platforms that control your fate more than maybe you realize Mm -hmm. lars maybe like a final question and this is not necessarily related to games but what are your thoughts for nfts in general on top of what you just said where i mean they they can be a lot of things uh because one of the feedbacks i always see is that oh you know nfts are worth nothing you know it's digital and why is it scarce doesn't make sense etc well, so the thing is, here's here's the thing. Anything you can make human beings value anything. Like that's mm-hmm. actually you, you might be surprised to hear me say that, but I am I will bite that bullet all day long till it blows up in my face. Is you know, you have all all kinds of precedent from human history. Rye stones, which are those giant stones, I think, in Polynesian islands that aren't even movable stone money, mm-hmm. but like people be like, Yeah, he owns it now. I'm gonna transfer it to him. And it's like a huge part of their culture and it works. Cowrie shells, you know, little pieces of paper, you know, USD. It's Gold. all based off yeah, gold, you know, whatever, you know, it's like, and, and, and plenty, we've seen, I mean, local currencies, like Google, uh, Wurgle, Austria sometime, and the local currency they had during like the hyperinflation of like the twenties or thirties and whatever. And they were just like, we're going to issue our own local currency for this town. And people just like, great. And it worked. And, um, the fact that like an enormous amount of currency and what is it, is it, I'm going to get it wrong. I think it's Somalia. I, it's, I don't think it's Rwanda. I think it's Somalia. Like 90, 90% of the currency is straight up counterfeited and it doesn't seem to matter. And the economy works fine, sometimes even better because like, oh, we have enough currency for liquidity. <laughs> um, and so there's all these. So the thing about NFTs is not so much that it's like, oh, they're just made up so they can't have value. It's mostly that it's this disconnect of what's being promised. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, people think they own more than they do or they and then there's also the concerns of wash trading. And this is where I really want people to get quantitative, you know, is it's like, is the value of that thing actually that high or is one guy trading it to himself behind 10 accounts? You know, there's been some early studies there. I haven't, I want, I'm not, I'm not confident enough. I want to see replications before I like be like wash trading is definitely happening, but I think the risk is certainly there. So I think like a lot of our assumptions about, well, we saw this number. So thing is happening. It's like, is thing happening? And, um, and then just disconnects about the, the promises that are made there. And um, one last thing I want to get in, I know it wasn't asked, is we've mostly talked about the gamer backlash, but we haven't talked about the game developer backlash. Yeah, um, that's, that's another podcast, but uh, we, we right. feel free to, to already hint at some, <laughs> yeah. some spicy uh, takes there. I will hint in 30 <laughs> seconds here. So I did a thread on Axie Infinity when we did the Novic paper, and it was one of my... Like, it just absolutely blew up. I was completely flabbergasted. It got, like, 1,500 likes, you know, 500 retweets. The other day, I dashed off, like, before going to bed. Um, just, you know, the New Year's letter from Square Enix president, I quote tweeted it and just, like, wrote a little thread with some thoughts. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and it had 4,700 likes and 1,300 tweet, retweets. I was, like, like way bigger numbers than the Axies where I'm, like, what the heck? And then I just see all these people following me. They're like AAA developer, AAA developer, AAA developer, AAA developer. And I was like, right. Uh, and I was like, why are you guys following me? This has never happened before. Like, I'm just like indie guy. Nobody cares what I think. And they're like in my DMs and they're like, and I was like, wow, what do they want feel, from you, Lars? Well, they feel pretty strongly about this. I don't, I can't, I will not say I have a representative sample. Um, clearly okay. there's selection bias 
here. But I feel like there's a lot of top-down imposition of blockchain and NFT stuff on seasoned developers. And the developers have resistance to it, and um, but they don't really feel like they have a safe place to talk about it online. Um, and they don't know how to talk about it. And I, I feel like you guys probably feel the same way now at this point, that it's like, if you like want to engage with criticism, you're mostly just like dealing with people who just hate your guts. And um, that's why I like about spaces I'm, like- I'm used to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this, this backlash, I mean, it's no, again, it, it doesn't feel different to me than the Facebook era of game development, right? Just because you acquire Playfish and decide that you're making a big play into free-to-play Facebook canvas gaming doesn't mean the people who uh, you employ want to follow that mission. Um, what I think is really interesting for those developers is that um, companies are not, they don't own you, you're not a slave, and your options as a game developer are greater than they've ever been. Um, but that also means the competition as a game developer is greater than it's ever been, right? There's nothing um, legally preventing any of those people from leaving Ubisoft or Activision or where, whichever company forming that, you know, getting a uni license or going on Unreal and making their own single A, double A, triple A indie game. Uh, there's a lot of competition in that marketplace. And it definitely, depending on what your aspirations are, it takes capital. And, you know, I, I expect that mission focused organizations that exist solely to create blockchain games are going to have a much easier time acquiring the talent that's bought into that mission than people who got into the industry for other reasons and feel like this new business model and technology set is imposed on them. I know from experience, not even, not in blockchain games, but just with other game concepts, it's really hard to launch, to build, launch, and succeed with something that management believes in that the people building it don't have at least some level of buy-in in. Um, it's and so like I think the uh, companies that are going to be most successful in this phase of building blockchain games are going to be ones that are at mission built organizations or informal you know groups of people who meet online and build a project, and that those are going to join those AAA studios through acquisitions and acquires, and people are going to have a lot of new like it's just it's it's the exact same thing. It's going to take a long time for everyone to get on board and, and many people are not and those people have other options of other games that they can build that someone like me will probably buy or unfortunately more likely get for free as a ps plus game or an amazon prime loot game or as part of a, a game pass bundle mm -hmm. you know all right yeah cool um let's um let's finish this round this up with uh the bonus segment as in i always ask my guests for a bold prediction about um in this case blockchain games and gamers basically what we've been talking about what do you think will happen where do you see this move i know larcy told me you've already made a twitter thread with some spicy takes there i will i will choose my juiciest and spiciest one okay go ahead i'm curious U.S. Congress will hold a hearing on blockchain or NFT games. 60% certainty uh, this year. <laughs> this year. This year. This year. Right. So, so, so it's a great prediction. Yeah. Do so you think that hearing? Do you think that hearing will result in any regulation, or will it just be dog and pony show? Um, I'm not willing to say at this point. I'm just saying that a hearing will happen. Right? Yeah. There'll be some congressional hearing where they bring up the topic of blockchain gaming. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. I'm. I mean, like, I mean, the midterms are coming up. Who knows exactly how people are going to start posturing themselves? I think, I think blockchain in a lot of ways is already starting to get right wing coded, which I think came as a surprise to a lot of people. But um, I'm not sure if the Republican Party is going to like massively get behind or anything. I'm not making that as my bold prediction either. But um, I think, I think there will be a hearing. Um, and I have another hearing that um, someone I know will be called to testify 90% chance. Can, can I, um, well, just a, a, a pile on on that excellent prediction is that too many uh, uh, legislators have already made significant amount of money with crypto investing and crypto holding such that it will not get regulated out of existence. <laughs> we've already lost that. I like that one. Um, no, no, wait, we've already lost? No, we've already no, won. 
Well, yeah, sorry. From I yeah. was I was speaking from kind of the uh, Lars political, my interpretation yeah, yeah. of the political line. Unless there's like, a crash. <laughs> um, they've already they've already paid for their kids' uh, college with the with the <laughs> holdings. Um, it's all good. Here, I think that's an excellent prediction, Lars. Um, here's I was thinking uh, hard about this one. Here's my very fun uh, prediction. Within 2022. A blockchain games company will go public via SPAC. Oh, special purpose acquisition company. Mm-hmm. Really? There will be some company. It's going to go public for via SPAC, and it's going to have a huge valuation as a result of that. Okay, I, I'm going public, not acquired. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Because like there will be a publicly traded blockchain company, and SPAC will be the mechanism by which it goes public. Okay. Within this calendar year. Who, who who's your top three? But they might not even exist yet. I don't know. I don't, it's really, too, yeah. Nothing. They, they might not exist, or if they exist, I, I might not even be following. Do you further predict that a DAO is going to own this back? Ooh, oh, that's um, that's a good question. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put that on it. But <laughs> DAO, DAO is a very interesting. DAOs are super interesting as an alternative funding and governance model. That again provides access to normal people that they don't have access to otherwise if they don't have two million dollars in assets not counting their houses. Well, the good news, Ethan, is we can discuss this at the congressional hearing when we both get called the testify. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. We'll save a seat for you, cool. Nico. Thanks. I'll uh yeah, I'll I'll be I'll be discussing it here, you know, with someone else. Like what Lars and Ethan said. Didn't make sense. Anyway, um, well, that was it. Lars, Ethan, thank you so much for joining. This was really great. Um, loved your takes. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't think we change anyone's mind really with this, but I think it's kind of summarized, put people to uh, like um, put the thoughts out there and uh, it was really good. So uh, thank you for being on. Uh, listener, thank you so much for listening. This was the Metacost Crypto Corner and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.